I pray that you'd help us to be able to uh, understand something and to learn something, leave here challenged and leave here maybe just a little different than how we came. Lord, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're there in John chapter number 5. And normally, on Wednesday nights, we're having a Bible study and we go verse by verse through the chapter. Now, I usually like to do uh, an entire chapter in one night or maybe split up the chapter in, in two weeks. Uh, but tonight I'm just going to do something a little different. There's a, there's a very good verse in John chapter number 5 that really just deserved its own sermon. Now, next week... We might be in John chapter number 6. I, I'm not sure I haven't decided yet. There's a lot of good doctrine in John chapter number 5 that I might want to get to. Um, so we might spend three weeks in John chapter number 5, which is a lot longer than I usually like to. But it's just a, it's worth it. Cause it's, and it's a pretty long chapter too. But I want you to look at, we're just going to focus on one verse tonight. I want you to look at John chapter number 5 and look at verse number 24. Verse number 24. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, we were just, just uh, talking, Brother Hudson, right before the service, and that word verily means, means truthfully. So Jesus is saying truthfully, truthfully. It's where we, we get our, the name of our church, Verity Baptist Church. Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but it is passed from death unto life. Now this is a very good... Uh, soul winning verse. It's a very good uh, verse about salvation and it has a lot of doctrine in here that I just wanted to teach you a few things. On Wednesday nights we try to have a, a Bible study time so I want to show you a few things from John chapter number 5. Point number 1 is this. We see in John chapter number 5 the requirements for salvation. The requirements for salvation. Now you might say Pastor Jimenez Every time you get up to preach, you're always talking about how salvation is a gift. Salvation is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, that, that there's nothing we can do uh, to, to get salvation. So what are you talking about? The requirement for salvation. Well, even though salvation is free, and you need not do anything to earn it, there are still requirements, and there are still things that you need in order to be saved. And we find those in this verse. Look at the, the first part of, of that verse. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, and I want to... The first point has to do with this. He that heareth my word. Jesus Christ said, He that heareth my word. So, the requirements for salvation, in order to get saved, you need the Bible. In order to get saved, you need the Bible. Jesus Christ said, He that heareth my word. Let me, let me show you an example of this. You're in John there. I'd like you to go with me to Luke chapter number 8. It's the book of the Bible right before the book of John. Luke chapter number 8. And look at verse number 5. We're going to see a parable in Luke chapter number 8. And look at verse number 5. Luke chapter number 8. And look at verse 5. The Bible says, A sower went out to... I want you to take note of this. It says, Sow his seed. A sower went out to, hoe, to sow his seed. Take note of that. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit in a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they, may, they might not understand. Now look at verse 11. It says, now this is the parable. Now, now the parable is this. Jesus begins to explain to them the parable. It says, now the parable is this. The seed is the, do you see what that says? Word of God. So in verse 5, the Bible says, he, he gave this parable. He said, a sower went out to sow seed. In verse 11, he lets us know, what's that seed? He says, the Word of God. Now, look at verse 12 and 13. It says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then come to the devil, and take away the word of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rocks are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, but in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in the 
which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring it forth, fruit with patience. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they might enter in, that they which enter in may see the light. Now, I kept reading the parable, because that's just a good parable. And I don't have time to, to, to go through that, and, and the parable really needs a sermon in and of itself. You could preach a whole series of sermons out of it. The only thing I want you to notice from that parable is this. Verse uh, number 5 in Luke chapter number 8, Jesus said, A sower went out to sow seed. In verse 11, He tells us now the parable is this, The seed is the Word of God. Now if you look down at verse number uh, 15 again, you'll see the ones who honestly got saved, and look what it says in the parable. He says, But on the good ground, this is the the people that got saved, the good ground are they, well, let let me rephrase that. There, there are others who got saved and, and kind of fell awake, but they, the Bible tells us they believe. But here, here's the good ground. Here's what Jesus calls the good ground. He says, But that on the good ground are they which in an, which in an honest and good heart, look what it says, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So Jesus Christ gives this example. He says, Hey, a, a sower, and he's talking about going out sowing, and he says a sower goes out and he, and he and sows seed, and the seed is the Word of God. Now, in John 5.24, you can go back there, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. So he said, you got to hear the word. He said, a sower went out and sowed seed, and then he said about the good ground, he said, the good ground are those who heard the word. Amen. However, well, let me show you another verse, just to, to make the point even even more. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. You're going to go towards the book, uh, towards the end of the Bible. 1 Peter. It's not towards, not all the way. If you, if you get to 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, Jude, or Revelation, you've gone too far. But 1 Peter, chapter number 1, and look at verse number 23. 1 Peter, chapter number 1. And look at verse number 23. The Bible says, Being born again. Now, we're familiar with that term born again. You know, you hear that used a lot uh, today. You know, they talk about uh, born again Christians. And that term born again, we've talked about that. And it's referring to somebody being saved. It says, and 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again. Look what it says. Not of corruptible seed. So again, Peter's obviously alluding back to the, the, the parable, and that's not the only time that he uses that terminology, but the, the, the example we saw there, where Jesus Christ said, the sower sows the seed. And he told us the seed is the word of God. And look what he says, being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And look what it says, by the word of God. So according to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 23, what's the seed? The word of God. Now you've got to keep this in mind. He gives us two different seeds there. He says there is a corruptible seed and there is an incorruptible seed. And he says you get born again not of the corruptible seed. You get born again of the incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So it cannot be the corruptible seed. And let me tell you something. The corruptible seed is this. The, the good seed, and, and I, you know, I don't have the time to develop this point. Uh, I preached an entire sermon on it before, but the good seed is the King James Bible. The good seed is the Word of God. And, and today we have these uh, corruptible seed, and that would be the new versions of the Bible, or the perversions of the Bible, like I like to call them. And, um, I, and you know, I'm going to show you an example of this later in the sermon. Um, I won't take the time to do it now, but, uh, and I won't go into it too much because we preach entire sermons about this, but... The Bible says this, if somebody is going to get saved, they must have the Bible. They must have the Bible. Romans chapter number 10 and verse 17, you don't have to turn there, but it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. The Bible says that if you're going to get saved, you've got to get saved through the Bible. And, and really, here's, here's the point. The Bible uses this, there, there's this verse, it says, um, the, we've heard the, I, I don't have it in my notes, I don't know why I didn't put it down. I must have just forgot to write it down, but uh, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, and so the Bible tells us that the Bible is quick, the Bible is powerful. It's, it's more powerful than any other weapon that, that man uh, might be able to come up with. And here's the thing, I, I've heard people say this, or I, I've, I've seen people try to do this, where maybe they go out soul winning and they don't have the Bible, and they just try to explain. And, and I've done this, you know, when in my life too, where maybe I just try, when I was new at soul winning, and maybe I hadn't memorized all the verses yet, or, or, or didn't have a Bible with me, and I tried to explain the gospel to somebody. I don't know if you ever tried to do that without using the Bible. 
and you find that you go nowhere. Because there's no power in my words. You know, I, I've, I've literally took, took somebody, and, and maybe, you know, back when I didn't have the verses memorized, and I, and I tried to explain to them, and I said, you know, the Bible says you're a sinner, and the Bible says your sin has condemned you to hell, and the Bible says Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and, and that He rose from the grave, and He wants to save you, He wants to give you eternal life, and I tried to explain to them, but every time um, I've done that, every time I've seen somebody do that, and every time I've heard of somebody doing that, i never heard of somebody getting saved, and here's why, because there's no power in our words. You know, I can't explain salvation as, as eloquently as, as the King James Bible can. When, when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's not the eloquence of the words, it's just that it's the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. And you need the Bible. And nobody has ever gotten saved from one of these new, you know, new international version or a new King James version or one of these corruptible seeds because God said, if you're going to get saved, He said, He that hears my word, if you're going to get saved, you've got to hear the word of God. And when we, and if we're going to have people's lives changed, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, uh, we try to, and I pride myself on the fact that we, we attempt, you know, when we stand up to preach with them, to just give you a lot of verses. Give you a lot of scripture. We, you know, we try to read a lot of verses, and we try to give you a lot of, because here's the thing, there's no power in my words. There's no power, there, there's nothing I can say to help you, but the Word of God can give you everything you need, even salvation. Verily, verily, I say to you, Jesus said, He that heareth my word, so, what do you need to be saved? Well, first of all, you need the Word of God. Amen. What else do you need to get to be saved? Well, you need to believe. He that heareth my word, and then he says, And believeth on him that sent me. And believeth on him that sent me. Now, you're there in John chapter number 5, correct? Um, you might be in First Peter, but go, go, go with me to John chapter number 3. And let's look at some verses briefly. We've already preached with John chapter number 3, so we'll look at them quickly. But I just want to bring a point up. He says, And he and believeth on him that sent me. John chapter number 3, and look at verse number 16. John chapter number 3, and look at verse number 16. John chapter number 3, and look at verse 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, look what it says, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. you see that? But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says that salvation comes through this, believing. The Bible, the Bible says when you believe, you're not condemned. But when you choose to not believe, the Bible says you're condemned already. And this flies in the face of most religions today. You know, you'll, you'll talk to a Catholic and here's what they'll say. Well, you can't just believe. You've got to, you know, uh, do good works. You've got to go to church. You've got to give money to the, to the church. You've got to go to the confessional booth. You've got to uh, have the sacraments. Or you'll, you'll talk to people and they'll say, well, e even Baptists will tell you, well, you, can't, you know, it's not just believing. You've got to uh, repent of your sins. And what they mean by that is they're saying you've got to turn away from your sins and forsake your sins. Or you've got to uh, do this. Or you've got to do that. And look, the Bible never says that. Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Bible says, he that believeth on him that sent me. And Jesus Christ said, hey, if you're going to get saved, and he gives us this beautiful verse in John chapter number 5 and verse 24. And he says, I'm just going to lay out salvation for you just so eloquently. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Salvation is simply believing. Salvation is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at something that's interesting. It says, and believeth on Him that sent me. Now you might be asking this question, well why does it say, believe on Him that sent me? Because who sent Jesus? God, God the Father. We know that. So Jesus said, believe on Him that sent me. Believe on God the Father. Now you may be thinking, well I thought we were supposed to just believe on Jesus Christ. Well there's a reason why He said that. Go, look, look at verse 15 of John chapter number 5. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, The man departed 
Now, you've you got to keep in mind the context. We, we preached on the first part of John chapter number 5 last week. And you remember that we saw there that there was a, a paralegic man at the pool of Bethsaida. And he was there. The Bible says he'd been there for 38 years. And Jesus Christ, remember we preached on that and he came to him and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? And, you know, he's asking him, do you even want to be healed? Because he knew how long he'd been there for 38 years. He said, man, you've been here for 38 years. Do you even want to get healed from this? You know, and, uh, and, and he healed him there. So look at verse 15. The man departed. This is the man who Jesus healed. And told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. The Jews were questioning him because they were attacking Jesus. They were saying, well, well he healed you on the Sabbath day. And they, were, and they were lying. And they were saying, you know, you're not allowed to, to work on the on the Sabbath day, and, but they were using the scriptures uh, in a wrong way because nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can't, you know, Jesus can't heal a man on the Sabbath. It says you can't do servile work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to go to work where you're making an income or you're earning something. But, I mean, you know, we talked about this last week. God didn't expect you on the Sabbath to just lay in bed and do nothing, you know, not move a muscle. But that's how these Pharisees took this verse. And, um, and, and they were mad about that. Look at verse 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. And sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So they were mad at him because he did these things on the Sabbath. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. So he said, hey, look, it's not wrong for me to work on the Sabbath. And he's like, here's why. My father's working on the Sabbath. He said, Jesus, because Jesus healed him through the power of God the Father. He said, my father healed him on the Sabbath. My father's working on the Sabbath. And you know what? God can do whatever he wants. God can work on the Sabbath if he wants to. And he said, if my father works, then I work. And look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath. That's the first thing he did wrong was he broke the Sabbath. But now they were even more upset because he said, he not only broke the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father. And look at the last part of that verse. It says, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. Now look, just keep, keep your place there because we're going to go back. But go with me to the book of Philippians in the, in the New Testament. You're in John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter number 2. And look at verse number 5. Philippians chapter number 2 and look at verse 5. Philippians 2 verse 5. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be, look what it says, equal with God. Now, just let, let's think about what the verse is saying. It says that Jesus, who... Being in the form of God, says Jesus started not robbery to be equal with God. So according to the Bible, Jesus did not think there was anything wrong with being equal to God. Now here's the thing. Why is that? Because Jesus is God. I just had a conversation with, about this at, at somebody at work. And they were saying, like, Jesus isn't God. And a lot of people believe this. And this is what people say. How can Jesus be God if God is the Father and Jesus is the Son? And they, say, and, and they get confused. You know, if you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness, this is, their, this is where, how they base that Jesus isn't God. They say, He's not, and they'll look at you like you're dumb or something. They'll say, How is He God if He's the Son and God is the Father? But Philippians 2 5 says this, that He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And John 5 18, when He said, My Father worketh, hitherto I work. Therefore the Jews sought to, the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews of the Old Testament, the Pharisees of that time, they understood when Jesus said, Hey, I am the Son of God, God is my Father, they understood that to, to, for him to say this, that he was making himself equal with God. They got that. But you know the Jehovah's Witness of this day, they don't understand that. They say, they say Oh, you're, you're dumb. How is the Son... God if the Father is God. And they'll say they're, they're two different people, God and the Father. But according to John 5.18, He made Himself equal with God. Philippians 2, 5 and 6, He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now remember I showed you, I was going to give you an example of, of the corrupt seed. Uh, you're there in Philippians 2, 5. Let me, let me sh show you an example. Do uh, you remember we, we talked about 1 Peter 1.23 said, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Let me show you why uh, the corruptible seed will never get anybody saved. I have here uh, a new international version. And it, this, is the, this is 
probably the most popular version of the Bible out there. If you go to the average church, more than likely they're going to be using the new international version. Now, you're there in Philippians chapter number 2, right? Uh, Verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read for you Philippians chapter number 2, verses 5 and 6, out of the NIV. Now, you just read along with me. As, as you read Philippians 2, 5, and 6, read, read silently with me all out of the King James Bible. I'll read out of uh, the NIV. And look what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's what verse Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 5 in the NIV says. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 5 in the King James says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now is that just ridiculously different? Let me read for you again. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What did the Bible say? What did the King James Bible say? Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, most people think this. Uh, a new version of the Bible is just updated words. It's just removing the, you know, the half and the verily and, and updating the words. But that's not true. Because what they've done is, they've not only updated words, they've actually changed the meaning of verses. Well, one verse in the King James Bible, which agrees with the rest of Scripture, will say, hey, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. But the NIV will tell you this. No, no, he didn't consider, he, he didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped. According to the NIV, Jesus isn't God. According to the NIV, Jesus uh, is just a man. According to the NIV, he didn't consider equality with God something he could grasp. Hey, there's a reason why these in, the, the incorruptible seed is needed for salvation. The corruptible seed can't save you because the corruptible seed doesn't even have a Savior. If Jesus was not God and He was just a man, how could He give us salvation? I mean, that'd be like me dying for your sins. I can't pay for your sins. I'm a sinner just like you are. You must have the Bible to get people saved because the... And that's why God made such a big deal. And Peter there, he said, being born again, not a corruptible seed. What's corruptible seed? The NIV. What's corruptible seed? The New King James Version. What's corruptible seed? The American Standard Version. Because they take the Bible and they change it under the guise of updating words, but at the same time, Satan gets his hands in there and he changes doctrine. And he said, you've got to be born of the incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But see, you, you, why did Jesus say, believe on Him that sent me? And why do other parts of the Bible say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, here's why. Because He that sent me, God the Father, and Jesus Christ are the same person. They're the same person. Look at verse 19 in John chapter number 5. Look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. You know, I, I've given this, and, that, and that's true. And you know what? That's not only true for, for God the Father, that's true for just a, a physical relationship. You know, I've given examples of my son before. It was really funny. You know, one of these days, we'll, we'll sh- uh, I'll show you the video, but um, I came home from work one day, and my, my son, it's really funny, with my son, he'll bring, we have this stool that we use to put the sign up out there, and he'll bring it out here, and, uh, and he'll get up and he'll start preaching. And one day I came home and he was preaching and my wife was just sitting there and we were kind of laughing and I came over and I turned on the, the, the camera uh, while he was, or the, the video recorder while he wasn't uh, paying attention so we got a good five minutes of him preaching and he's just preaching away and I mean I, I wish I could remember what the what things that were that he was saying but he was saying something about uh, holy church, uh, love God. I think he said like love coloring. I mean he's just preaching away and he's just like and he's in the pulpit and he's getting into it you know. But, you know, and, and, my, and my son, he's always wanting to just come up here and preach, you know. And he plays, you know, he plays church or whatever. But why does he do that? Because his dad do that. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm getting up here and I'm yelling and screaming and preaching, whatever. So throughout the week, he wants to do that. And, and you know, you you, you, you got to be careful, mom and dad, what you're, let your kids watch you do. Because what you, they see you do, they're going to want to do. That's why, you know, statistics show us that if, uh, if the mom and dad smoke, it's a very high percentage that the kids are going to grow up to smoke. You know, if the mom and dad are drunkards, it's a very high percentage that the kids are going to grow up to be drunkards. If the mom and dad are on drugs, it's a very high percentage that the kids are going to... Why? Because p- kids do what they see their parents do. 
So he said, uh, For the Father loveth the Son, in uh, verse 20, And show them all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So you were seeing there that they do the same things. The Father raises up the dead, the Father quickeneth them. That word quicken um, means to be made alive, and we'll, we'll look at that a little more. He says, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which sent him. So if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. Why? Because they're the same person. Look at verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he giveth the Son to have life in himself. What does that mean? Well, the Father is the source of life. That means the Father gives life. The Father is self-existing. Do you remember in the Old Testament uh, when, when uh, God appeared to Moses there in the burning bush and, and He told him to go into Egypt and, and, and He said, who, who do I tell Him that sent me? And what did He say? He said, I am. He said, I am that I am. Tell Him that I am that I am sent, um, sent you. And when He said that, that name, I am, which only belongs to God, and He said those words, I am, He was referring to His name Jehovah, which means the self-existing one. He exists of His own accord. When He said, I am, He said, he said that, that's present tense. He said, I, I, I wasn't created, I'm not going to be made. He said, I just am. He said, I just exist. Tell Him the one who just exists, the one who's self-existing sent you. Because he, we're not self-existing. We were all created. And one day we will die. And we have no control over that. But God never created, God never died. He said, hey, the Father hath life in Himself. See, I don't have life in myself. I get my life from God. But then it says about, it says the Father has life in Himself, so has He given the Son to have life in Himself. So the Son has life in Himself, just like the Father has life in Himself. They're both self-existing. Why? Because the Son and the Father are the same person. Because God the Father and God the Son are the same person. And since Jesus is God, and God is eternal, and God is omnipresent, and God is omni-knowing, then... Jesus can be the Father and the Son at the same time. I know that's weird. You think, and how can you be the Son and the Father? But He can. Because He's God. Let me show you some verses. Let's go to the book of Revelation. And we'll show you some verses to prove this. We'll look at these quickly. Revelation chapter number 1, and look at verse number 8. Revelation chapter number 1, and look at verse 8. Now if you have a, a Bible that's a red letter edition, uh, these, this verse will be in, in red. Why is it in red? Because there are words that Jesus Christ said. Now, these are, these are, this is prophecy. We understand these are words he's going to say, but this is Jesus speaking is what I want you to get from that. Look at Revelation chapter number 1 and look at verse 8. Jesus speaking. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet there. He says, it's like saying A to Z. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So Jesus said, hey, I am Him which is right now, I am Him which was, and I am Him which is to come. He said, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. I am the beginning, I am the ending. Look at verse 11 in the same chapter, Revelation 1.11. Again, we see red letters there, if you have a red letter edition, because it's Jesus speaking. He said, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. But the first part of that verse is what I wanted you to see. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. In verse 8, he said, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. Look at, uh, go, go to Revelation chapter number 22. Revelation chapter number 22, and look at verse number 12. Revelation chapter number 22, and look at verse 12. The Bible says, and behold, again, this is Jesus Christ speaking. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according, to, according as his work shall be. Look at verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He made all three statements in that verse. I like that. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Now there's no debating who's speaking. 
And he said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And look what he says. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He, he uses this example. He says, I'm the root and the offspring. And when I read this verse, I, I think of like a tree. And he said, if you, and Jesus said, if you look at a tree, he said, I'm not just the root of the tree. I'm also the offspring, referring to like, like, like if, let's say we had an orange tree, it'd be the orange. Let's say we had an apple tree, it'd be, he said, it'd be an apple. He said, so I'm the root of the tree, but I'm also what the tree produces, I'm the offspring, I'm the fruit. And, and, he, and he said, I'm the, I'm the root and the offspring of David, and what he was saying is this, he said, I am not only before David, I am after David. Because you remember, Jesus came from the lineage, lineage of who? David. And Jesus was the son of David. But at the same time, he wasn't just the son of David, he was also the creator of David. He was the root, the beginning of David, and he was the end of David. And people, they, people don't understand this. Well, Jesus can't be God because he's the, he's the son, and God's the father. No, he can be the father, and he can be the son. He can be the root, and he can be the offspring. He's going to be the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. Jesus is God. So when He tells you, hey, you've got to believe on Him that sent me, you say, well, I thought we were supposed to believe on Jesus Christ. Doesn't the Bible say that uh, salvation cometh by, no, you know, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? I thought it was Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing. Jesus and God are the same person. Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father, they're the same person. So you can believe on God the Father, or you can believe on God the Son. It doesn't matter. They're the same person. That's how people in the Old Testament got saved. Remember, uh, on, on Sunday night, we were preaching there through, through, jo- through Genesis, and it said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, Noah didn't know who Jesus was. Now, obviously, he knew Jesus was coming because he believed in a Messiah, but he didn't know the name of Jesus. Who did he believe on? On the ayah? On Jehovah's God. And, and, and when he believed on the I am, he believed on Jesus Christ because there's a saved person. It's the same person. Alright, so those are the requirements of salvation are this. You need the Word of God. The incorruptible seed. The corruptible seed is not going to save anybody. The corruptible seed doesn't even tell us that Jesus is God. But you need to believe. Salvation comes in believing. And you can't just believe in anything. You know, people, people say, well, I'm a Muslim. I have faith. Can I go to heaven? No. You've got to believe on Jesus Christ. You've got to believe on the Alpha and Omega. But let's look at, just real quickly, the benefits of salvation. The benefits of salvation. Look at verse John chapter number 5 and look at verse 24 again. John chapter number 5 and look at verse 24. We saw the requirements of salvation. Now let's look at the benefits of salvation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, look what it says, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. The first benefit of salvation, when you get saved, is eternal security. Eternal security. He says, the Bible says, hath everlasting life. Now I like that word hath, because the, the word hath is our modern day word hath. You know, if you ever read the Bible, and, and you're the type of person who says, you know, I just get confused with all these, you know, hath, and, and you know, you, whenever you see a word in the, in the King James Bible that, that ends with the word th, you can remove that th and add an s, and, and, you'll, and you'll get our modern day word that we use. So hath, if you just remove the th and add an s, is has. That's the word. You know, if you, you'll read it like, it says, he that keepeth. Well, if you just remove that and add an S, he that keeps, you know. So, you know, the E-T-H, you would have to remove. But, but you, you, you can use that to kind of help you if, you if you don't understand that. But it says, and believe it on him that sent me, it says, hath everlasting life. Now, here's what I want you to see about that. Hath means you have it. Hath means you've got it. Hath doesn't mean you're going to get it. You know, people say, people say all the time, uh, I'll talk to people about and say, well, I believe that you'll get everlasting life, but you get everlasting life after you die. So if you don't mess up before you die, then He'll give you everlasting life. But Jesus Christ said, hey, if you believe, He said, you'll, you, you have, you have, you will get everlasting life. He said, the moment you get saved, you get everlasting life starting that moment. The Bible says, believe it on Him, have everlasting life. Now there's an interesting thing about uh, the doctrine of everlasting life. Let's just look at some verses real quickly. we gotta, we got to uh, hurry because the lasagna is making everybody hungry. So let's look at, just look at Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. This is one of my favorite verses uh, out sowing to use. Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. The Bible says, In hope... I'll wait for you to get there because I want you to see it. 
Titus chapter number 1, and look at verse number 2. The Bible says, in hope of eternal life. That's what we're talking about, right? Everlasting life, eternal life, same thing. So here's our hope for eternal life. Here's what God says, this is our hope for eternal life. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So according to the Bible, what's my hope for eternal life? God can't lie. And if God promised to give me eternal life, if God says you will have everlasting life, then He can't lie. Now I want you to keep that in mind and go with me to the book of 1 John. It's right before, in the book, if you find, you know, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the book before that is Jude, which is just one chapter, and then you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Just go to 1st John, chapter number 5, and look at verse number 10. 1st John, chapter number 5, and look at verse 10. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son of God, isn't it funny how consistent the Bible is? Believeth, we find that word again. He that believeth on the Son of God, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Now, don't, don't skip through that verse. Just Remember, we were just talking about Jesus and God are the same person, right? Look at verse 10 again. He that believeth on the Son of God, right? Hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not, now it doesn't say the Son of God, it just says God hath made him a liar. Why does the interchange Son of God and God like that? Because they're the same person. But it says, But even not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So it's like you make, you make God a liar when you believe not the record that God gave of his son. Look at verse 11. What's the record? And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So the Bible says, hey, when you believe on the Son of God, you have the witness in yourself. When you, don't be- when you believe it's not God, you've made God a liar because you don't believe the record. And then the next verse says, this is the record that God has given us eternal life. Titus 1-2 said, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. It seems to me like God gets very offended when somebody refutes eternal life. When somebody refutes eternal security. When the Pentecostal comes along and says, well, I don't believe it's eternal life. I don't, I don't believe it. It means you're, you're never going to lose it. You know, I think if, if you don't live right, and I think if you don't get baptized, that you're going to lose salvation. God says, hey, you're calling me a liar. And God, I, 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 it seems to me that if you study it, God gets offended because it seems like whenever he's talking about eternal life, he brings, up, he, he brings into question whether you're calling him a liar or not. He says, in hope of eternal life, and he says, and let me just remind you, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. He says, he that believeth not God had made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave us of his son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The benefits of salvation is that when you get saved, you have eternal security. That God gives you eternal life, everlasting life, and it will never end. But then he makes it even more clear, and he says, shall not come into condemnation. Shall not come into condemnation. You don't have to turn there, Romans 8.1 says this, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So he says, hey, I gave you eternal life. And then he says, I want to make it a little more clear. He said, not only did I give you eternal life, you're also not going to be condemned. So it, what, what are the benefits? You can't lose your salvation. I can't, look, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Say, so, well, what if I do something really bad? I, there is no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, what, what, what if I steal? There is therefore no condemnation. Well, what if I uh, commit adultery? There is no condemnation. Well, what if I kill somebody? There is no condemnation. There's a reason why Moses is in heaven. There's a reason why David is in heaven. There's a reason why people all over the Bible who sinned and did wrong, like Samson and Saul, they're in heaven. Why? Because there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. And let me give you the last benefit. But is passed from death unto life. Is passed from death unto life. Now, turn to Romans chapter number 5. We'll, we'll look at this quickly. Romans chapter number 5. We're almost done. And let, let's look at some verses. Romans chapter number 5. What does this mean, but is passed from death unto life? Romans chapter number 5. And look at verse number 12. Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, 
as by one man, this is Adam, sin entered into the world. So we know Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into the world. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there had been no sin in the world. But then it says, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So according to the Bible, we've all sinned. According to the Bible, every single human has sinned. But go to Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse 9. Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse number 9. Because you've got, you got to understand this. The Bible says this. When you get born, you're born... The Bible says we're made in the image of God. There's three parts to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, also says God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The Bible, I don't have time to go into it. John chapter number 1 does it beautifully, but he interchanges the Word with the Son. The Word and the Son are the same person. Uh, you say, what does that mean? That means that the Word is the Son. You, you say, I don't get that. I, I'm telling you, these words, I'm not talking about the leather and the binding and the glue, but the words and Jesus Christ are the same person. John chapter number 1 says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and Him was not anything made that was made. Later on the chapter says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the only God of the Father. The Bible says that the Word is, became flesh. The Word is Jesus Christ. What, Pastor Manus, what, what, what's the big deal about using the, uh, the NIV? Well, here's the thing. Jesus, had, you know, Jesus is the Word. Now, Jesus had to be perfect to die for us, right? Jesus couldn't be a sinner, because if Jesus was a sinner, He, he couldn't die for us. He has to be perfect, the, the perfect Lamb of God. Well, Jesus is the Word, so we've got to have a perfect Word. If, if we don't have a perfect Word, then we don't have a perfect Jesus. If we have a perfect Jesus, we must have a perfect Word. That's why you need the incorruptible seed. That's why you can't have the corruptible seed. You know, and, and the Bible just flows perfectly, and all these things kind of mesh together, and, and you get off on these tangents. But, let me, but look at verse... But uh, What I was trying to say was, we're made in the image of God. God the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, these three are one. Well, we were made in the image of God. We are made in three persons also. We were born the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now, here's the problem, though. Our spirit died. Look at, verse, look at Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse 9. Romans chapter number 7. Actually, let me... I didn't even turn there myself. Romans chapter number 7 and look at verse... Actually, let's look at verse uh, 7. It says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? So he's asked the question, Is the law sin? Referring to the law of the Word of God. He said, God forbid. The law is not sin. Nay, had I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So he said, The law, the Word of God, isn't sin, but the Word of God shows us what sin is. Look at verse 8. But sin... Taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of con, uh, con, I can't pronounce that word con, concupiscence. I don't know why I'm having trouble pronouncing that word right now. But let's move on. But without the law, sin was dead. Now look at verse nine. For I was alive without the law once. So Paul said, without the law, I was once alive. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now here's, here's what Paul's teaching us. You know, you take my son. He, he's alive right now. If my, son, you know, if my son Joel or my son Joshua, if they were to die right now, they would go to heaven. You say, well, you know, and there, there's people out there uh, who, who say, well, these Calvinists, they'll say, well, God will send the baby to heaven because they don't believe. Well, look, my son's not dead. His spirit is still alive. He was born in the, even though he's a sinner, he hasn't died yet. He was born... With a body, he was born with a soul, that's who he is, and he has a spirit, and it's not alive. But here's the thing, when my son gets to the age where he understands the law, it's because my son doesn't understand the law right now. You take Joel, and you try to explain to him, Joel, you shouldn't steal. He's going to say it. He's not going to say anything, he's going to walk away. You know, you take my son Joshua, who's three years old, and you try to explain to him, you know, you shouldn't steal, you should you know, now he's starting to understand because he's getting older, but he's not, he doesn't fully understand that yet. So, that's what Paul is talking about. In verse 9, when he says, For I was alive without the law once. Hey, me, Pastor Jimenez, was alive without the law once. But when the commandments came, 
So when, when a person is able to understand, when my son Joshua is able to understand the commandments, when they understand the law, and the law can show them their sin, and they are able to understand when they've sinned, the Bible says, but the, when the commandment came, sin revived, and here's what Paul said, and I died. Will a baby die and go to hell? No, because they haven't died yet. Because they don't understand the law. But as soon as you get to that age where you understand that you're a sinner, when you understand that you've done wrong, when a child, you know, uh, you know, my, my kids, my wife, I'll be talking to her when I'm at work and she'll be doing something upstairs, she'll come downstairs, you know, she leaves the, kid, the kids downstairs for like one second, literally, she runs upstairs to grab something and she comes back down and in the, you know, the 10 seconds it took her to run up and down, they, they've gone in the refrigerator and they've taken all the apples and they've taken bites out of them and they're throwing some of them. You know, why don't they try to hide it? Because they didn't know they did anything wrong. They're just having fun. But here's when, they, here's when sin revives in a child, when they do something wrong and they try to hide it. Why do they try to hide it? Because they know they did wrong. Well, at that point, they understand the commandment. And when the commandment came, the Bible says, Paul said, sin revived and I died. So here's the point. When you came to that age of accountability where you understand what sin is, the Bible says you died. Sin killed you. It took occasion by the law. It used the law as a, as a weapon and it said, you're a sinner. For the wages of sin is death. So, so you're dead. Well, here's, the, here's the beautiful thing though. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and He gives you eternal life and He gives you, uh, and he gives you salvation, the Bible says that you're passed from death unto life. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read some verses for you. But um, 1 John chapter number 5 and verse 12, we were just there. It says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Psalms 119 says this, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. That word quickened, or quick, is an old English word. It means to be made alive, or to revive. Isn't it funny? Psalms 119.50 says this, This is my comfort in my affliction, and this is what it said, For thy word hath quickened me. So according to Psalm 119.50, what makes you alive? The word. What did Jesus Christ say? He that believeth, or he that heareth what? The Word. I mean, the Bible just fits perfectly together. In Psalms, in 1 John, in John, in Romans, anywhere you go, it fits perfectly. Psalms 119.93, a separate verse says this, I will, for ne- I will never forget thy precepts. That word precepts is referring to the Word of God. He says, For with them thou hast quickened me. He said, For with your precepts thou hast made me alive. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 5 says this, Even when we were dead in sins, He quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Colossians 2, 13 says this, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of the flesh, have quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, you were once dead to sin. When you understood the commandment, when you understood that something was wrong, when you came to that age of accountability, the Bible says that, that sin, taken occasion by, by uh, took, 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 took the law, and it killed you. But Jesus Christ says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And here's why God gives you eternal life the moment you get saved. Because the moment you get saved, He quickens your spirit. The moment he gets saved, you get saved, He revives your spirit. And He immediately gives you eternal life. Look, I will never die. You say, well, you know, this, this, this physical body might die one day. But Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When, when, when the last breath goes out of this body, I will immediately be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And one day God's going to revive this body and give me an incorruptible body. And up in heaven, and, and, and you know, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But, isn't that, I mean, isn't that a beautiful verse, John 5, 24? There's so much doctrine in that verse, isn't there? Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, think about this. You have friends. You have people you hang out with. You have people you like. Maybe they're neighbors, maybe they're co-workers, maybe they're just childhood friends. But you know somebody who's not saved. You know somebody who hasn't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the Bible says this, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why are they condemned already? Because they're already dead. 
See, it's just a matter of time before they get cast into hell, but they're already dead. Now, the person you know who's not saved, you see, you say, oh, you know, and when you're a little kid, you, you, you know, my, my dad used to make, correct us when we were kids, and we'd say, you know, I was a little kid, and I'd be, and I'd say, oh, so-and-so at school is my best friend, and so-and-so at school is my best friend. And, um, and my dad would say, you have no friends. Your mom and your dad and Jesus are your friends, you know. And uh, I don't know, that's not, the Bible talks about having friends, and there's nothing wrong with having friends. But, um, you know, we, we say, and we say this, you know, people, and, and I, I try to be very careful not, not to, to say that about people. But here's the thing, if you have somebody who is honestly your friend, and you haven't taken the time to tell them about Jesus Christ, what kind of a friend are you? Seriously, what kind of a friend are you? If I had a friend who was mindlessly walking, you know, and I knew that they were going to, if they took three more steps, they were going to, you know, go down a cliff to their death, and they didn't see it, you know, I'm not just going to say, hey, how you doing? Hey, we're hanging out this weekend, right? Hey, we're going out tonight. Hey, you know, we're going to go get something to eat later and just let them keep walking. But that's what we do. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word. But here's the problem. He says, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. But here's the problem. Not everybody has heard his word, and not everybody has believed. Uh, we're preaching last week out of Romans chapter number 10, and it says, remember we're going through those verses, and it says that you've got to, you know, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, we, this is our job. This is our purpose. Verity Baptist Church. Those first two words there. Verily, verily. What does that mean? It means verity. This is our purpose. Verity Baptist Church. What is it? To stand up for the Word of God, number one. You know, I'm tired of these uh, preachers going around. And we've got fundamental Baptist preachers who just refuse to stand up behind a pulpit and say, Hey, you know what? I believe the King James Bible. I believe the Word of God. And you know what? I understand, you know, we want to be careful when we tell people not just to, to let them think, Oh, it's just, we're just King James only. I mean, we believe King James only for a reason. And we, and we showed you an example today. These other Bibles are, in, are corruptible seed. These other Bibles are trash. They, they're not the Word of God. And, and, and that's what we got to stand for. We stand for the King James Bible. But... It's not enough to say we stand for the Word of God. we got to do something with it. You know, just uh, on, on Sunday morning, we are preaching about the armor of God, and we brought that, that, that uh, special sermon there because of Veterans Day, and we are talking about uh, being a soldier for Jesus Christ. But part of that armor of God was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So it's not enough to know that I've got uh, the Word of God in my hand. It's not enough to know that I've got the Word, Jesus Christ, and, and I've got the power of it. It's not enough to just know, oh, hey, it's not anything that I've got the mind of God. I gotta take it to somebody. I gotta go fight a, a battle with it. I gotta go fight somebody with it. I gotta go win a battle and I gotta go out and preach the gospel and I gotta take that book and take it and show somebody, hey, so that they can believe. So that they can have everlasting life. So that they can have, not have condemnation, so that they can be passed from death unto life. That's what the Bible says. That's our purpose. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let me tell you something. If you're going to go out soul winning and you're not taking a Bible with you, memorize the verses. You know, I, I give the gospel to people when I don't have the Bible with me, and I, I just quote verses to them. Because they have to have the Word of God. They have to have the Word of God. He that heareth my word, they've got to have the incorruptible seed. Because my words have no power, your words have no power, but if you give them the word of God, the Bible says it's a seed, it's going to go in their heart, and it's going to start to produce fruit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much.